in this series that we've been doing called John 15. Uh, the series title is Abide. Uh, we've been studying through John 15, what it really means and what Jesus is trying to say. Uh, throughout these past couple weeks, we've been talking about uh, what it truly means to abide in Jesus, how we can remain in him. We're looking at how he is the vine and we are the branches and we are to be a part of him. We are looking at how we are to remain in his love. And today, we're going to look at something that's pretty challenging, not going to lie. And also, it was pretty challenging to put together. It's not exactly the easiest message, but also at the same time, Jesus doesn't and never holds any punches. He goes for it right away. He's very black and white, and he's going to tell us exactly what it is that we need to know today. Um, and we're going to be continuing this discussion of what it really means to abide in Jesus. Now, as this whole message goes on, I need you to ask yourself a question uh, throughout the duration of this whole thing, and that is, where do you go to find fulfillment? What does that look like for you? Whatever that answer may be for you now, our goal is to find whatever that answer is by the end of this message, and if we don't, we clearly did something wrong. Um, we're going to figure that out. Um, and we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper, so uh, let's get right into it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to go to your word, um, to be able to learn uh, what it is that you have for us this morning. We have a, so much going on in our lives and everything that's outside of here. I pray that you would help us to put aside every distraction and help us to take this time to directly focus on you, to focus on your, your word and what you have to say to us. Give us ears to listen to you and that we can also see you in this moment. Speak to us through your word and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So to start off, I have a question. Who here likes candy? If you don't like candy, I'm sorry, I'm the one to tell you this, but you're weird. I don't really mean that, but I also kind of do. Um, as we're talking about, and we just had our child dedication uh, this morning, uh, going along, when you were a child, all of us had that one candy that you absolutely loved. You adored over it. I don't know what that was for you. For me, well, bottle caps. All right, exactly. Now, I, I got some homework for some of you because I only heard a few claps, and that's an issue. So for those of you who have never had bottle caps, you are going to go to the store after this service. You're going to get yourself some bottle caps, and I can promise you, I don't promise much. It will change your life. <laughs> it, this is phenomenal stuff. For me, this, this is what I would run to. This, this was my happy place, right? And it doesn't matter what flavor. That's the beauty, that's the beauty of it, man. Just, it doesn't matter what flavor. It's awesome. It's just... Yeah. Making you really uncomfortable watching me eat right now. I want to see how long I could stand here. Now, of course, as a kid, 
we've all experienced the dreaded no from the parent. No, you can't have that. It's terrible. It's taking the joy right out of me. Man, I don't know what that was for you. For me, I know it's not candy per se, but those gushers. Gushers, man. This, we're playing a different game. This is beautiful. However, I got, I got a few no's from these things. I was the kid that my parents had to put restrictions on my lunch account in elementary school so that they wouldn't give me gushers because I wanted gushers. And the reasoning was always because, you know, got to get cavities and whatever. It's like, I don't know. I thought that's just a thing that happens. I didn't even know cavities were a bad thing. I was like, I got plenty of them. I got four, and I, that was an accomplishment. I was like, look, I got, look at me go. That's just something that happens at the dentist. Um, I would get a no, though. We experience that no. And we're like, why can't, why can't I just have this. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make my day if I am able to get my hands on these gushers. It's going to make my day. It's going to make my week. It's going to make my year. And you're ripping this joy out of my hands. How does that feel? Right? We have to ask ourselves, why is it that we want this candy so bad? It's because it's going to bring us happiness. It's going to make our day, our, our year, whatever that may be. But we're getting the no because it's not good for you. And it's going to be bad for you in the long run. As adults, we do this same exact thing where we are running to everything that this world has to offer us, whatever that may look like. And we're thinking that this is going to fulfill me. This is going to be great when reality, it's not good for you in the long run. You see, we need to be careful when it comes to going to this world and searching this world for fulfillment because that is what this world is going to offer us. And when we turn our backs against it, we turn our backs against the standard of this world, the world is going to turn against you. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us in this passage. So as I said, We've been going through John 15. So if you want to flip there right now, we're going to be starting at verse 18. In John 15, verse 18, just as a recap, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he is teaching them what it truly means to abide in him, to remain in him. In these verses, I'm going to read this. Uh, John 15, starting at verse 18, I'm going to read through 25. He says, If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you in this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. I had not come and spoken to them. They would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have both hated me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me 
without reason. There is a lot to unpack there. But as Jesus always does, he doesn't hold back. And there's a lot of things that we're, we're going to be able to take away as we break down these verses. There's three things, I think, that really stick out to us. The first thing is this, is that ultimately, at the end of the day, the world is not going to bring you true fulfillment. Now, the key word there is fulfillment. I didn't say satisfaction because there's a difference between the two. There's a lot of things this world can offer you that are satisfying. However, that's temporary. Fulfillment is not temporary. There's nothing in this world that is going to offer you true fulfillment. You see, all this world offers us is these broken systems. That's the title of today's message. We're focusing on getting rid of these broken systems that we're getting ourselves caught up in. These systems, ideas, desires, traditions, attitudes, whatever that may be. The world says, you need all of this fame, this popularity. You need to have all of this stuff, have all of this money, have all of this fame on your name. Or just run after whatever it is that makes you feel good. And that'll be all you need. And just keep getting more and more. Get that amazing career, and that'll fulfill you. And you'll feel like you did it right. It ain't true. Jesus, like, this world is not going to fulfill us at the end of the day. All it is eventually going to lead to is disappointment. It's going to lead to heartache. It's going to lead to brokenness because it's never enough. It will never be enough. However much you can get, however much you can possess, however many people you know or know you, it'll never be enough. We will not be able to find fulfillment within this world. And in verses 22 through 25, we see a very fine line drawn between Jesus and the world. You cannot belong to Jesus and belong to the world. And so many of us will live life like this, where if this over here is what it means to belong to Jesus and to be following him, and over here it means to be following this world and whatever this world has to offer you, we like to live life like this. We try to have one foot in each. It's like, yeah, sure, I want to follow Jesus. I want, you know, what he offers. But everything that this world offers looks so good and so satisfying. As I said, at the end of the day, it's not going to bring fulfillment. Instead, it's going to bring disappointment because it's not enough, and it'll never be enough. Jesus says that if you hate him, you also hate the Father. You can't say that you love God, but then you're not going to follow Jesus and what he taught. You can't, you can't do that because if you're not going to follow Jesus, if you're going to hate on Jesus, you also hate the Father. That is the point that he's trying to make here. We see this definitive line that he makes here. And he's saying that they literally have no excuse for not believing in him. Jesus said, I was in front of them. I taught them. They could hear, hear my teachings. Not only that, but they've seen the miracles I performed right in front of them that have no other explanation but God. They've heard and seen all these things, yet they don't believe. Therefore, they have no excuse for their sin. No excuse. 
They didn't believe when Jesus gave them every reason to believe. He was right in front of them. And some of the miracles were done for them. He provided for them. But they were still unwilling to follow him because that meant not going after the things that this world can offer you, these broken systems. And Jesus wants us to know that if you are going to be following him, if you belong to him, we are going to be treated in the same way he was. He was persecuted. Now, that's the next thing we really need to be able to understand as we go through this passage is what is persecution? We need to understand what that truly means. I'll do this by sharing a story. So when I was in high school, I went here in, uh, to Pottsville, and my senior year, I was in a journalism class. And for this class, I had to go around to the student body, and I had to just ask questions to some of the students that I was uh, working on the current paper. I needed their answers. And one person in particular I reached out to Someone I was friends with, and I was also friends with their brother. We were close. And they ended up attacking me. It was a very simple question. I was asking them about, you know, the sports in our school. And I would say fairly that the people in my school knew me kind of well in terms of my faith, that they knew I was the Christian or whatever. Um, I was attacked and this person just mocked me the entire time and didn't answer my question. They were unwilling to answer my question. They were like, no, like, you're going to ministry school, whatever. It's like, what do you know? What are you going to do with that? And the entire time, I'm just being made fun of when I'm biting my tongue, trying not to fire back. What happened that day was I was made fun of. I was not persecuted, though. There's a difference between being persecuted and being made fun of. If you want to know what it looks like to be persecuted, look at what happened to Jesus. We're talking about someone who is sinless. He never made a mistake. He came into this world for us and to save us, and they put him on a cross. That's what persecution looks like. If you want to know what persecution looks like, look out to the other countries in our world, in Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan, where it is literally illegal to be a Christian. You can't read your Bible. You can't preach the word. People are being imprisoned and killed because of their faith. That is what persecution looks like. I'm saying all of this just so that we have a clear picture on what true persecution looks like because there is a big difference between being made fun of being persecuted we so often think that because the world is casting me out i don't belong to this world that i'm i'm being persecuted by them really that's it's a privilege to be set apart from this world to to say that you belong to jesus the one who lived a sinless life you belong to him it's a privilege so Jesus wants us to know, hey, persecution is bound to happen. It doesn't matter where we live. It doesn't matter the fact that we live in America and we have the freedom of religion. At the end of the day, persecution is bound to happen. People are going to come against you for your faith because you belong to Jesus and you don't belong to the world. People will come against you. However, people are not the enemy. It's the next thing we need to 
make sure we really understand from these verses in John 15. People are not the enemy. We need to know who our real enemy is. I'm going to read this real quick in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, finally, uh, starting in verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you could take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle is not against people. Our battle is against the devil. It is against him. He is the one who is coming after us. He is the one, and he is the reason we're going to be facing persecution because he is the one who is in this world prowling around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. We all have a target on our back. He is the enemy. The battle that we're in right now, it is spiritual, not political. We have turned our world into a political battle. And understand, all I mean when I say that word is that we've made it people versus people. That is what we have turned our world into, is that that is not the case. We may, we've made it an us versus them. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter who made fun of you. It doesn't matter what I experienced in high school. That doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter how people may have hurt you or what they've said about you or what they've done to you. They're not the enemy. The devil is. He doesn't like the fact that you belong to Jesus. He's the one roaming around this world and he wants you to belong to this world. He's the reason we'll face persecution when we're not following him. Therefore, people are going to be coming against us, but we have to make sure that the last thing we do is that we have a mentality that it's us versus them. Because that is the complete opposite that we're supposed to have as believers, as followers of Jesus. Before he ascended, he said, go make more disciples. How are you supposed to go make more disciples if you're thinking to yourself it's us versus them? They contradict each other. Listen, I don't know what your story is or how people may have come up against you, but just because people come up against you doesn't mean you put up that wall. Understand they're not the enemy. Jesus wants us to go for them. That is the heart that we're supposed to have. And understand that we are not in a political battle. It is a spiritual battle. It is the spiritual forces that we see here that we are up against. So as we look through these verses and we think to ourselves, if I don't want to fit in with this world, if I don't fit in with this world, then where do I fit in? Where we do fit in, where we want to fit in, is the community that God has given us. The community of people who are coming together, loving each other, serving with each other, praising God with each other. That's the kind of community that we fit in, that we want to belong to. We see this kind of community in Acts chapter 2. So if you want to flip there. In Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, what we see in these verses is a really, just an amazing picture of what it looks like when a, the body of believers come together. All right, so in Acts 2, 42, 
through 47, it says this. They devoted themselves. When it's saying they, it's talking about this huge group of believers that are with each other and the disciples. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It almost sounds like it's too good to be true that this kind of community exists, that this kind of community is here. What this community is, is the church. This is the church. This is the early church, the early Christians. We need to have a really good understanding of what the church really is. The church is not a building. This is not the church. We are the church. The church is the body, not a building. The church is the body of believers coming together who are following Jesus. We are all the church. So we need to be able to understand that it's not just a building. We're a united body. And I want to say this, and bear with me as I say it, what we need to stop doing is we need to stop going to church. We need to start being the church. We need to start acting like the church. What we see in these verses is a great explanation of what the church looks like, what these early believers looked like and what they did and what we can do to be the church and not just go to church. The couple things that we could take away from these verses, first off, it's this word devoted. In verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves. Understand, when it says devoted, this isn't half-hearted. This isn't going through the motions. They were devoted to this. They were committed to it. They were all in. They were ready to go. Every single one of them. That's the kind of community this was. And it gives a list of what they were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were devoted to learning more about the Old Testament scripture. They were devoted to learning more about what the apostles had to say and their experiences with Jesus and everything that Jesus taught them. They were devoted to learning more and growing more in their faith. Not only were they devoted to that, they are also devoted to fellowship. They enjoyed each other's company. They loved it. They thrived with it. For them, it was an amazing thing to enjoy fellowship with each other, eating with each other, praying with each other, praising God with each other, serving with each other, loving each other. It was an awesome thing. And they did it gladly. It says they were also devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to taking this time to remember Jesus' sacrifice, to remember his resurrection, and also just to eat with each other. Man, how many times have you been at a dinner table and there is just some weird tension there? It's not fun. They enjoyed this. 
This was a fun and enjoyable time to be able to eat with each other. And not only all that, but they were devoted to prayer. It is so powerful when you see the body, the church, come together and be devoted to prayer. Because when that happens, you will see God do incredible things. God will respond. It's incredible to see what happens when we actually devote ourselves to prayer and understand that God really hears us. God loves us and cares for us and wants to know what we have to say. When we come together, when we link arms with each other and we devote ourselves to prayer, there are going to be some crazy things that happen. God is going to work. That is the kind of community we want to be in. We want to be a devoted community. Not only that, but what we see in Acts 2 in these verses, not only were they devoted, they were also together. We see this theme of togetherness. They're always with each other. They loved each other. As I went on with that list from before, loving each other, serving each other, all that. They were always together. As I said, this is what the church looks like. It's a united body. And it says in these verses, you might scratch your head a little bit when you read it. In verse 44 in Acts 2, it says, All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Everything in common? Like, what's that supposed to mean? And now, it's not, don't take that literally. It's not like they're all with each other and they all agree like, oh, we, we all love the color red and we're all, we all love the New England Patriots. We know that ain't true. So, what does it mean when it says they had everything in common? You need to understand what happens before in this chapter. In Acts chapter 2, at the very beginning of it, we see the Holy Spirit make this crazy entrance into the world. The Holy Spirit is poured out onto the disciples and onto all of these believers. And Peter gets done preaching this crazy message explaining everything that happens. And there are thousands of people that respond to it, that run to it. They're like, yeah, I want part of this whole Jesus thing. I agree. The Holy Spirit gets poured onto these people. When it says they had everything in common, it meant that the Holy Spirit was within them. It meant that they believed in Jesus. They believed that he was sinless. That he died. He rose again. They understood that they were sinners, that they had, they, there was nothing they could do. And they just needed forgiveness. And Jesus is where you could find it because he paid our price that we deserve on the cross. These people had the Holy Spirit within them, and what happens is when you have the Holy Spirit within you, your motives, your desires, your attitudes, they all align with each other. When you're with this godly community, as I said, you'll see crazy things happen when the church starts acting like the church. And that's what we need to start doing. So we see in these verses that they were devoted and they were together. And we get a beautiful picture once both of these things happen. As a result of their devotion and of their togetherness, we get this awesome thing that we see that the church is capable of, that God does through his people. We see in these verses that they were sharing and selling property to those who needed it. Like, they were willing to go out of their way. They put themselves second. 
They were giving to the needy. They weren't selfish about it. They cared for others. When you're devoted to following Jesus and understand you belong to Jesus and you're with a community of people who's together and you're all devoted, you're with a group of people who is willing to go out and serve the world, no matter who it is, to go out and serve and give to the needy. That is what we see that they're doing. Also, as a result of their devotion and of their togetherness, we see they had joy. This was an awesome time. They enjoyed each other's company. Whether it was eating at the dinner table or praising God with each other, they enjoyed being with one another. It was a great time. That's a result of them all coming together, being devoted and being together. This is what the church looks like. And also, as a result of their devotion and togetherness, said at the very end, the Lord added to their number daily. This wasn't just of the working of the 12 disciples. It says in this chapter that there are thousands of people that responded to this event that happened. Thousands of people. We see thousands of people who are making the decision that, yes, I want to belong to this Jesus because this sounds good. I don't want to be a part of the broken systems of this world. And what's crazy is that when they come together, God works through them. The Holy Spirit is working directly through them. And continuously, every day, we see this number growing. We see this community growing. It's a result of them being devoted to this, to abiding in him. That's what this whole series is about, what it looks like to abide in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus looks like being able to embrace the community that God has given you. So with all that, I want to jump back to the question I asked in the very beginning of all this. That is, where are you going to find fulfillment? What does that look like for you? I want you to know this world is not the answer. This world will never be able to give you enough. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how much money it is, how much fame it is, how much popularity it is, how much of the whatever it is that makes you feel good. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to fulfill you. And if you're not really on the same page as me, if you're not really agreeing, I want to share this story. So I mentioned the New England Patriots, and I heard a couple grunts. But you don't need to know a whole lot about football to possibly have heard the name Tom Brady before. Just bear with me, and Noah probably just frustrated a few people. If you don't know Tom Brady, crazy football player, played with Patriots for so long on the Buccaneers now, has won seven Super Bowls, so many awards, so many records, known today as the greatest. When he was younger, earlier in his career, when he was 27 years old, you guys may be familiar with the TV series 60 Minutes. He was on that, and he was interviewed. And when he was 27, he just got done winning his third Super Bowl. And the person that was interviewing him, they asked him a question. They're like, based off of the trajectory of your life right now, like, how does this feel? What, like, how can you explain your experience with all this now? And everything that is happening in your life. Like, what does this satisfaction look like? What does it look like for you? And he shocked the world with his answer. He said, why do I have 
three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I mean, I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, is, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it, and I'm 27. What else is there for me? We're talking about someone who just won his third Super Bowl at the age of 27. Keep in mind that there are so many NFL legends in the Hall of Fame who have tried to accomplish that in their whole career and never did. He's 27, and he's already done it three times. Not to include the mass amounts of money that he's making and the incredible fame and popularity that's put on his name at such a young age right now. And he's saying, there's got to be more than this. Is this really all it's cracked up to be? All that didn't satisfy? I mean, based off of a worldly standard, if we looked in a dictionary at the word success, his picture would be in it. Someone who defines what a successful person looks like. And we have someone saying, there's got to be more. I have to ask, if that's not enough, then what is? From everything this world can give you, how much is enough? I say all that to make the point that this world is never going to fulfill you. Don't run to the broken systems that this world offers you because it's never going to offer you true fulfillment. You're only going to find that through Jesus. This world offers disappointment. Jesus offers fulfillment. When you run to him and you belong to him, he'll change your life. Our goal now as the church is that we need to embrace this community. If we truly want to abide in Jesus and remain in him, we have to embrace the community that God has given us and he'll do crazy things. So I have to ask, when it comes to embracing God's community, what does that look like for you? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this time that you've blessed us with to be able to dive into your word. I pray, God, that you would help us to be devoted to you, to embrace this community that you've given us, that we would start being the church. I pray that you would set a fire in our hearts in the same way that the early Christians did in just what we just read. God, it is a privilege that we belong to you. God, you've called us a holy nation and your special possession. That we have the privilege to be able to say that we belong to you and we don't belong to this world. I pray that you would work into our hearts, that we would be devoted to you, that we would follow you, that we would give our life to you, to look to you in everything that we have. Help us to embrace this community. Help us to be the church. And God, we thank you so much for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.